Welcome back to the program. This is Tom Carmen with Father Jeff Lewis. He's going to lead us with a scripture reading and a prayer as we get started. We'll take a scripture passage from the beginning of Ephesians chapter 6. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may have a long life on earth. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up with training and instruction in the Lord. Good and gracious God, we ask your blessings upon us as we present our radio program today and upon all of our listeners as they receive. In a special way, we pray for parents of children and also for children of families that they may receive graces uh, from one another in their loving relationship and that uh, in this way they will draw closer to you and be strengthened in their faith and discipleship of, in you and of your Son. All this we ask in the name of your most beloved Son, Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns forever and ever. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Father. Appreciate that. So uh, today on the program, we're going to dive into Catholic education. It's Catholic Schools Week. That's right. Are you extra busy this week? I you have a school. Do, I, I do have a school. We have our Bishop's Mass on Wednesday this week. So we'll Hey, how did you that. rate that? Because uh, there are more than five schools here in the diocese. So. Oh, yeah. So how did you rate getting the bishop to come to your school? No, no, we're all gathering to the cathedral. Oh, yeah, yeah. sorry, yeah, sorry. He hosts uh, a representation from as many schools as can make it. Nice. Uh, so we're sending our school student council and all of our eighth grade class as well, and um, some of the teachers and myself. Oh, that's excellent. So that'll be about 30 people total, I think. Yeah, nice. Pretty good delegation. Excellent. Yeah. Is, uh, is there other, are there other events around that in terms of like you get together for mass? Is there like a talk from the bishop? Is there well, like he'll lunch preach, or yeah, something he'll, like that? Uh, I don't think there's a lunch, but he'll, he'll preach the homily, of course. And um, no, I think that's it for that, that particular event is mass with the bishop. Uh, but he always gives a good, um, you know, he gives a good homily always, but a particular, you know, he does well with the kids, I think. And, and um, kind of, asks questions. It's a, a question and answer kind of homily that he does to prime the pump, and then he goes into into uh, uh, into you know his homily and the content he wants to convey. But each school will invariably have um, various events going on throughout the week. I think one day is like Priest Appreciation Day, and St. Mary will do something crazy, I'm sure. Nice. They better. <laughs> yeah. the pressure's on now. I know. Right? <laughs> said it out loud. Everyone's hearing that's it. That's right. And Principal Appreciation Day and uh, these kind of things. Um, Part of it is, I think, the uh, eighth graders and seventh graders, um, they uh, engage in an essay contest uh, with the Knights of Columbus for a Respect Life uh, essay, and that's usually timed with the Catholic Schools Week. So these kind of things go on. Hey, I'm going to flex. My daughter won that contest for the Archdiocese of Seattle. Nice. Yeah, this was uh, my daughter, Mary Grace, um, years ago. She made it on the cover of some, like, publication, the... um, the, the Archdiocese in Northwest Catholic or whatever it was. Yeah. So that that's was, great. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I, I want to ask a question. You're the pastor of St. Mary, but do you ever identify yourself as the pastor not only of a parish, but of a school? So how does, how does the priest pastor connect in terms of the role of leadership with regards to the school, because you have a principal, mm-hmm. so how how do you how do you navigate that? And I want to know not just like organizationally, but personally. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think a little bit of that begins with organizationally. I think that there's um, I don't know how common it is elsewhere, but in Spokane, it seems to have been the way for a while that you know you have a parish with a school, but the school like operates and identifies itself as completely independent of the parish, almost as if some of the parents think like. 
this is a school with a church attached. And the opposite is true. This is a parish with a school ministry. So that the school is another ministry of the parish, the largest and most expensive and most complex, but nonetheless one of other parish ministries. And so therefore, I try to engage as I would other ministries where I have a, a regular presence where I'm, I'm talking at least with the key players to just to keep tabs with what's going on. Now, what I try to do at the school is when Bishop Daly moved me to a parish with the school, he, he told me, he said, I, I, I want you to be a presence in the school, or he phrased it something like that. And so I'm like, okay, I took that literally. So I right away reached out to the teachers and the principal and said, I'd like to set up a regular schedule where at such and such time each week on such and such day, I make a classroom visit with your, with your class. And, um, and I told the teachers, so I don't want to interrupt their curriculum flow. Uh, for whatever they're doing for the religious um, cla- re- religion class component, but say to just think of me as your substitute teacher for religion class that day, so it doesn't interrupt your flow or just whatever you want me to do, and uh, so we do that. So I go in like today. We're recording on a, on a Thursday before Catholic Schools Week. I already visit my sixth grade class. They were grilling me with questions about the problem of evil. <laughs> wow, these kids are sophisticated. We were grappling with that in seminary and still couldn't find an answer. Uh, so uh, but now you have an answer. Now, now, have now, an answer, now that yeah. we're on the radio, we have answers. <laughs> oh yeah, so, yeah. I have all, all the those things. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so that's Thursdays at eight thirty. So each Thursday, almost without uh, deviation. So I try to do that to not just be their teacher for a half hour, but to be a regular presence. But other other things too. So. Um, I try to go to as many of their sports games as I can to, you know, if I hope that they will come to where I work and live in the church at mass, then I think reciprocating is, is, uh, is fair, is fair play. And, um, you know, well, so I, I just think it's also like, it's powerful. Yeah. Right. The, it, the it, you feel really like it, when I know that if we're in the stands and here comes father Lewis, like you came to a game last week yeah. and you're coming tonight, uh, yeah. on Monday tonight, uh, the Oaks is playing core to Christ. Yeah. Which is just awesome. It's going to be Catholicville. Let's go, <laughs> right? So we have, uh, we've got some seminarians coming down as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it, it, it'll be hopefully a wonderful opportunity to um, just show, shine forth, right? Shine forth with faith and and to have your spiritual father there. When we have our spiritual father there, it is, it makes me feel proud. Yeah. Yeah, well, it's it's good for me. I, you know, it's a throwaway phrase almost to call it a ministry of presence, but I try to be deliberate with it that. You know, that if I'm there, then it's like half my job is done for me. And then to use the opportunity, like between between plays and basketball, whatever, whenever there's a timeout, to just kind of turn to the, you know, to the parishioners around me or whatever and just uh, talk life with them, see how things are going. And, and the fact that the priest is there with the caller, like, invites an elevated conversation in that regard. So it's not just about the weather or whatever, but we're, we can start to talk about uh, what's going on at the parish or the faith life or their personal prayer life, these kind of things. And just by virtue of me being present there. Mm-hmm. So that's good that the seminarians will be there on Monday, you know, tonight as you're mentioning, and that hopefully I can do a good job at modeling that for them. We'll nice. see. <laughs> so when we think about the, let's call it the process of um, making a disciple, you have what I think traditionally, or maybe in just the last generation, you have pre-evangelization, then you have evangelization, then you have catechesis, and then the heart is worship. Yeah. So... When you when you look at those four elements, pre-evangelization, evangelization, catechesis, and then worship, which of those do you see at work in a Catholic school? 
in a Catholic school. The right school, answer is yes, right? I, I was just teasing well, you there. Oh, the I thought you were saying, which one do I see at play? Yes. Yeah. How do you see those at work? Because you probably yeah. see all of those at work I do, in, in a yeah. Catholic school. I do. So yeah. what do I mean by pre-evangelization? Well, that's, I, in my mind, I just kind of figure that this, that's the soft sell. Mm-hmm. The soft sell of like, you know, um, I'm not laying down like the most uh, complex or difficult or, or controversial aspects of our moral teaching. Yeah. That's not the place for pre-evangelization. I'm trying to show them that, you know, that uh, if you're feeling adrift or lonely or hurting, you know, here's a place where you can feel the opposite of that, where you feel like you can have a, a belonging and a community and, and, and some measure of healing. So people are longing for that. And as they um, engage with, with evangelization proper, we'll see why this is working for you. It's because Jesus Christ is at the heart of all of this. And so how can we build them up with a relationship with Jesus? Well, in the focus, what's the, it's like win something. Win, build, send. Win, build, send. Yeah. So it's, it's sort of the win stage, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's a win. Yeah. Um, you mentioned the ministry of presence. I think a lot of pre-evangelization is just the, you showing up yeah. and showing up in a way that is, well, allowing the aroma of Christ to, to be made manifest, to yeah. allow the light of Christ to shine forth, right? That's so right. sort of that salt, light, leaven mm-hmm. kind of thing. But then there'll be moments where, that are evangelistic, mm-hmm. where the moment has come, now I need to share the gospel. I need yeah. to invite someone to consider Christ. Can you think of a story connected to Catholic schools where you've seen a family, maybe it's a mom or a dad, um, the parents that are bringing their kids there, that it has become a moment of um, hearing, proclaiming, in the go- ha- proclaiming the gospel and having it be heard by a family. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, at a first grade level, so uh, last year, one of our first graders, from like the moment the school year began, uh, was not raised in a Catholic home, but the mom was, and it was kind of a driftway situation. Um, but a, a mixed marriage of the the Fallenway Catholic with a, with a Jewish dad, and so she's half Jewish by heritage. But she was saying from the start of the year, "I want to be baptized." I'm thinking that's adorable. But maybe it's, you know, why do you want to be baptized? Is it a fleeting thing and you saw something shiny? So we just kind of let it go for, you know, for half a semester. But she kept saying, I want to be baptized. I'm ready to be baptized. When can we be baptized? You know, that kind of thing. So proclaiming the gospel, the kerygma, but at a first grade level. So I start with the question, well, so why? And the, the why is um, a sense of the belonging that we already, that we already mentioned that that it's not just to keep up with her friends because she's a strong personality for her first graders. They keep up with her. So it's not that necessarily, but she couldn't quite put words to it. She just knows that the that baptism is a gateway to something more. And um, and so we move forward with that. And talking with the mom, too, to get her enrolled in the OCIA now so that she can complete her initial formation for the sacraments initiation. But it really began with the daughter. In fact, this story, told more in full, is going to be a featured article in an upcoming edition of the Inland Catholic. Really? Yeah. So our our editor interviewed m- m- me and the daughter and the mother, our DRE and the first grade teacher, try to get the whole perspective. You can become and, a media personality father. I know. How this about is, that? This is awesome. I love that. Yeah. And well, uh, so it wasn't necessarily to the whole family, but to the mother and daughter, as our DRI, as our DRE and I um, were were preparing them for this for this moment. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, part of that definitely is the kerygma. Yeah. yeah. So uh, this is Catholic Schools Week, and you're a pastor. You have a, a school. You're listen, You're talking right now to lots of parents. Mm-hmm. Some of these parents have kids that are really young, or maybe not even have kids yet. 
and others that uh, have kids, and they've got options in front of them. Yeah. If you had to make a pitch, right, like what's the appeal? Why Catholic schools? Why send your kids to a Catholic school? Um, the first thing that comes to mind is the not the religious education, but the whole person faith formation. Um, maybe other options, like for example, the public schools will uh, endeavor to uh, to form the mind, and with PE and sports, the the body, but not a really concern for the soul, which is the deepest part. They'll put things on like characteristic trait of the month is such and such, and it's like just kindness, a, yeah, or courtesy, kindness, integrity, or inclusion, or, or yeah. So yeah. it's a way of putting up a word and looking like you know you're putting out uh, a strong message, but it's not it. It's not virtue right. it's formation. It's values versus virtues. Exactly, values versus virtues. And so um, wherever I've gone as a pastor for school, I try to emphasize we are we are in the business of the formation of the whole person and not just compartmentalize like PE is for the body and you know math classes for the mind and religion class for the soul, but to try to emphasize that, they, that they're all integrated because they're all integrated in us. And uh, I don't know how other schools uh, achieve that or go about that against you know what St. Mary does, what we try to do at St. Mary, but but I try to convey that message, and um, and I think that's a huge part. Certainly, Bishop Daly would 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 echo the same thing that this is it's faith formation of those who are own, so whole person formation, and those who are not yet you know, Catholic, we're trying to engage with them in an evangelistic way. You know, Father, what you just said is beautifully expressed in the Catechism of the Catholic Church. So I'm going to jump dip into paragraph 2223 of the Catechism. It's in a section that is on the duties of parents. And we're going to learn about education and formation and what that means, and it means far more than just having knowledge in our head. So you mentioned the difference between focusing on the idea that you're going to get religious education communicated in a Catholic school to the whole person formation in the light of faith. So I think that's a beautiful distinction, and we're going to hear about it in a minute by going to the Catechism with Father Jeff Lewis. I'll be back. Hi, this is Dr. Tom Curran, and you know me as the host of Sound Insight. I am also letting folks know that as a realtor licensed in the state of Washington and in Idaho, I love serving Catholic families and others who are discerning a move for yourselves. It's much more than buying or selling a home. It's discerning a whole new life. If that's something that you would find uh, a help in, if I could be of service to you, please be in touch. You can find out more at drtomcurran.com. drtomcurran.com. Welcome back to the program. This is Tom Kernan with Father Jeff Lewis. We're talking about Catholic education. Now listen to this, parents. This is like one of the more powerful paragraphs in the entire catechism as it relates to the role that is ours as parents. So Father, I'm going to speak it out loud. I'm going to read it. It's a lot. There's a lot of content there. And then I'll let you dive in and give a complete exegesis and exposition of this In two minutes. I'm ready. Okay, here we go. Paragraph 2223 of the Catechism. Parents have the first responsibility for the education of their children. They bear witness to this responsibility first by creating a home where tenderness, forgiveness, respect, fidelity, and disinterested service are the rule. The home is well-suited for education in the virtues. This requires an apprenticeship in self-denial sound judgment, 
and self-mastery, the preconditions of all true freedom. Parents should teach their children to subordinate the material and instinctual dimensions to interior and spiritual ones. Parents have a grave responsibility to give good example to their children. By knowing how to acknowledge their own failings to their children, parents will be better able to guide and correct them. He who loves his son will not spare the rod. He who disciplines his son will profit by him. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. That's quite a paragraph, Father, isn't it? Yeah, and you're giving me only two minutes. I'm huh? teasing you. Let's <laughs> let's just crack it open a section at a time. Uh-huh. Um, first of all, over, overall impression of that paragraph. Have, do you remember that? Does that jump out at you? Oh, as yeah. Like, in fact, uh, it's interesting. The... Um, the uh, the baptismal rite, um, the, you know, this language is is included in the liturgical expressions of our faith in the in the baptismal rite. Um, uh, particularly, the, I'm thinking of the ba- of the blessing over the Father speaks very much about this. May together with his wife may be the may they be the first teachers of their children in the ways of the faith. That language has worked right into our actual worship of the Lord in that sacrament. And so that was the first thing that stuck out to me. And twice in the first two sentences, the word first is, uh, is there. Parents have the first responsibility, and they bear this responsibility first by creating a home where those virtues are there. And uh, I emphasize that because I think this is, um, it's not anyone's failing, but it's a tendency it seems to be in culture today that, that um, I'll just drop my kids off at school and, and they take care of it. Or I drop my kids off at youth right. group and they take care of it. All this thing. And really, those things are supposed to be... And I'm paying be, you money, too. Right, and you're paying I'm paying you money. tuition. Yeah. Come on now. You guys got to... get it right. Yeah. Uh, this is how I'm, I'm fulfilling my responsibility, by yeah. just offloading it to you guys. Right. I'm writing the check. Yeah. And uh, and thank you for your check, Tom. That's wonderful. <laughs> but uh, but really, you know, the, the parish, the parish school, the parish youth group... Um, all these things, we, we, we work to be in partnership with the parents. We supplement, hopefully, what the parents are doing at home. Um, and if the parents aren't doing anything at home, then I guess we're the primary uh, supply. But that's not what is envisioned by the church, as we just read here. The parents are the ones who supply. And wisely did uh, Pope John Paul II, in one of his writings, uh, cate- uh, the tradition of catechism, I can't think yeah, of it. Yeah, catechesis tridende. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. You know, it really emphasizes the for- faith formation of the parents, and then, by extension, the children. But it's it's the parish trying to supply for the parents and the children together, but definitely the parents, so that the parents can take that and use that and go home with it to teach their kids at home and to continue the formation at home. Well, there, when you look at what is said here, I mean, it's, it's a pretty daunting uh-huh. Right, so it, it that we have this responsibility first by creating a home. So you have to create it. It's yeah. not just guaranteed. It's not just the default setting. It's not just what's going to happen if you just show up. Mm. No, no. There's going to take. This is going to take some real effort. And when you talk about creating a home, then you need the power of the creator to make mm-hmm. that home happen. But look what's supposed to be there: like tenderness, forgiveness, respect fidelity, and disinterested service. That means service without any self-interest. Right. Service that is indifferent to my own benefit. Mm-hmm. And those are happening now and again. Those <laughs> happen once in a blue moon. No, those are the... The rule. The rule. Yeah. That's, that's the norm. That's yeah. really strong. Mm-hmm. 
So I, when I look at those, let me, let me ask you the question, which one do you think is the most difficult to foster in kiddos? Now, remember, I got five teenagers here. So <laughs> tenderness, forgiveness, respect, fidelity, or disinterested service? I would go with disinterested service because every chore you ask them to do, they want an allowance, right? <laughs> or they want something in return. Dad, what will this question? This happened last night. Dad, and this was around a basketball game. Dad, uh, what happens if we both win and I score this many points and they score that many points? How much money do we get? Right? So there, there's that kind of a, a reward for performance. mercenary love. <laughs> yeah. Mercenary love. That's what it's called. That's, uh, a good that's, way the, it. that's the medieval uh, language. It's, uh, you know, you love God because of the benefit you get. So yeah, I'd say disinterested service, or what's the other one that jumps out at me as, oh, that's a hard, that requires the gift of grace, is forgiveness. Mm-hmm. Right? You can, you can have a sense of tenderness towards each other, especially when someone's weak or, or whatever. Respect is that sense. If you can demand that, you can yeah. just get loud. Yeah. Um, and fidelity is just, can be just a matter of raw following the rules. Mm-hmm. But boy, forgiveness... Forgiveness requires God's mercy, yeah. and that's a grace, and that means you've been offended, it's someone's fault, and now you're, you're going to have to extend forgiveness to them. Mm-hmm. That's hard. Or even just as hard, or maybe even harder in some respects, is when you know you're in the wrong, to ask for forgiveness is so hard, yeah. and to admit that you're sorry. <laughs> well, so you go down to the last sentence in that paragraph, uh-huh. by knowing how to acknowledge their own failings mm-hmm. to their children, parents will better be able to guide and correct them. Mm-hmm. Wow, yeah. that is so challenging, right? So we, I, I know we're jumping down to the end here, but it says parents have a grave responsibility. What's yeah. a grave responsibility? Uh, the highest, most solemn, it's the most severe. It's this the, uh, is, the this, highest importance. Like a mortal sin kind yeah. of stuff. Mm-hmm. A grave responsibility to give good example. Yeah. Dang. That's, that's it. Can we go to a different paragraph? This paragraph is not so fun. I thought we were talking about education of our kids, but wow, if we're not setting a good example for our kids, then guess what? Mm-hmm. Are we really fostering in them the formation and education that God intends for them to have being in our home. Yeah. So that's a big challenge. And I, I would say these are probably also things that if I'm going to try to foster them in the home, guess where else I'm going to want them to encounter these same qualities? In the school where in you the send school. them. Yeah. Absolutely. I want that to be the culture yeah. in the hallways. I want that to be in the classrooms. I want that the, um, the teachers that are working in my place, right, in mm-hmm. local parentis, right, they're, they're fulfilling my role well, frankly, for more hours a day than I am, mm-hmm. right, when these kids are busy at school, yeah. I want to make sure that the, the school is a place of tenderness, forgiveness, respect, fidelity, and disinterested service. Yeah. Um, but the other part about this paragraph is what is said in the next section, which when you mentioned, Father, the idea that schools are m- way more than just communicating content, yeah. even religious content, yeah. right? But faith-based schools are about education in the virtues. Yeah. All right, so let's let's take a look at some of these virtues and see if they apply at all to Catholic schools. Our education in the virtues. This requires an apprenticeship, great word, an mm-hmm. apprenticeship in self-denial, sound judgment, and self-mastery. The preconditions of all true freedom. Yeah. Okay, great words. Yeah. Okay, break those <laughs> open for us. You know, self-denial, um, you know, I... 
I really want this or I want to do this, but that's, you know, but the the teachers asked me for this or the classroom's doing this right now. You know, some of the kids, they want to, well, our second graders, you know, you can finish your snack as father comes into the classroom, but wait till after he is done to throw your wrappers away. Such a small little thing, but they want to have a clean desk when they're done with the wrappers and crumbs and things, and they want to get up and throw it away. And she has said, no, deny yourself that, that impulse out of respect for the for the priest who's with us right now. That's just a small example, but that's that's throughout the day in all the grade levels. Mm-hmm. Uh, sound judgment. Um, I can I'll try not to mention names or specific incidences, but we've had some kids at our school that exercise poor judgment in terms of um, well, should I have you know should I have pressed this kid against the wall or whatever? Or should I have should I have brought my father's uh, multi tool, which isn't. I guess a big deal, except that one of those tools is a little knife, and we have a oh, policy. Thanks. I mean, it's a show and tell thing. Maybe it's no one's threatening anybody, but poor judgment, you know. And then self mastery as well. Um, you know, we see, you know, so you know to master the impulses as well, and to master, um, you know, this is uh, maybe like some of the some of the eighth graders. They're very tired in the morning, or they look tired. They're not tired. They're they're bored. They're bored with life, or they know they're cooler in school. Whatever it is. But self-mastery would be like, I feel this way, but out of respect for my peers and my teachers and my priests, I'm going to keep my eyes open and listen attentively and, ta- and take it in. Self-mastery of, over the the, um, the bodily's urges to just slouch and fall asleep or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's funny because these are supposed to be fostered in the home, mm-hmm. but they're the preconditions of all true freedom, right? So yeah. freedom... People don't really, I, I don't think we have a really good understanding of the concept of freedom. We just think it's often just reduced to the concept of I have a choice. Right, freedom and, from. You yeah, know. right. I have, the, uh, I have the freedom to make a choice. Yeah. But rather, no, freedom is having the capacity to do what I ought to do to be who I truly am. Yeah. And so th- that the, the traditional definition is the free person is the self-directed person. I know that sounds kind of odd. But what that means is that I'm directed by my deepest ideals. Yeah. And I have the ability to say yes, to live that out. Yeah. But St. Paul says what in Romans 7? The things that I want to do, I don't do. I, yeah. And those things that I hate, I those do. are the things I'm doing. Yeah. So freedom isn't guaranteed. Again, in fact, in a fallen world, there's a, a level of bondage. There's a level of brokenness. There's a level of... Uh, a confusion and a, a weakness of will and a, con- and a disordering of the passions yeah. and a uh, clouding of our judgment. And so all of a sudden, we're not as free as we think we are. Yeah. So self-mastery is a really big deal. Yeah. So I think about, just here's a simple thing. So we pray our family rosary at night, and it's a pretty much nightly thing that I'm saying to one of my sons, unnamed, sit up. Sit up, pay attention, like do pray like you mean it. Yeah. And and if you can't sit up and pray like you mean it, then I'll just have you kneel down. That'll help you focus. And all of a sudden, there's a snapping to attention, and there's a sense of saying, "Okay, I will pray out loud. I will pray, and I will um, I'll pray in a way that is honoring the prayer that I'm doing." Yeah. So that's that's an example of self mastery. Yeah. Yeah. Well, in the consideration of freedom, you know, part of our problem might be is a misunderstanding of freedom. If we think of freedom as just the the general disposition or circumstance in which we find ourselves, this thing is keeping me from doing what I want, therefore I I lack freedom. 
But we ought to think of freedom more as a, as a virtue because then it's something to be exercised. I need to grow in freedom. I need to grow in self-mastery so that I can grow in freedom. In that regard, you know, a, a, a river, there's a great metaphor that um, Catholic speaker Jason Evert uses, and it's a, it's a river versus, um, versus broken levees like after a hurricane. He said, yeah, the, the river that broke its levees after a hurricane, now there's a gigantic flood, so it, it's free of its bank, so to speak. But to do what? It's doing nothing. It's just stagnant. It's dead. It's just there. Whereas if the river were bound by its, um, by its banks, so it's bound by self-mastery, it's bound by the high ideals, now it's freed up for something, to flow in this direction, and there's great incredible power behind that flow. And, um, and so that's the kind of freedom that we need to appreciate is the freedom for something, freedom for the flourishing and, and rising to the highest call that, uh, that God calls us to yeah, I like that. That's a good example. Um, and it leads to something that is a bit uh, paradoxical, and it. Ha- I'm gonna. We're gonna go down the like the little. Okay, Father, answer this question. Um, could Jesus have sinned? Was it possible <laughs> for Jesus to sin? And if the answer is no, well, then was he really free? Was he really free if he could not sin? And the theological answer is, he was too free to sin. Uh. He was so perfectly free that the idea of sinning was something that was less. The freedom to be able to sin is less than the freedom to not be able to sin. Yeah. Because I'm perfectly conformed to my ideal. So I'm completely free for that which I was made, and I have the capacity to say that. And if it still lives within me to choose away from my God-given ideal, then that's a betrayal. Yeah. Jesus was too free to be, to be able to betray himself. Yeah, and that's the freedom of the sons of God, as St. John writes in his first letter. So Jesus is the Son of God with that perfection of freedom. And to all of us, and to uh, to that, all of us are called as well, and we'll get to enjoy unimpeded uh, on the other side of the veil. You know, please God. Yes. Yeah. yeah. It's like, oh, we won't be able to sin in, in heaven because we'll be perfectly aligned to our ideal. Yeah. Perfectly conformed to our ideal, and all of those things will be washed away. That would even be a temptation. Yeah. To sin. So. I love those kind of, uh, there you go. <laughs> That's not a sixth grade question. No. That well, was sort you, of graduate school. Maybe? Really? Maybe my sixth grade. Maybe my seventh graders. They can you stump get, you. You get some really advanced <laughs> seventh graders. I still remember, man, I got that one wrong. It was, um, I grew up with this reality in my home where you don't leave the table till you finish your food, uh-huh. right? And man, I was there sometimes a long time because <laughs> I didn't finish my meal. And I, there was something we fostered in our kids. Don't take food unless you're going to eat it. Mm-hmm. And now that you took it, you've got to finish it. Um, and sometimes I'll finish it for them until uh, we received the priestly answer that if you eat when you're not hungry, you'll fall into gluttony. If you choose to throw away the food that you don't eat, even though you're full, you fall into waste. Mm-hmm. But waste is a lesser sin than gluttony. Mm-hmm. So throw mm-hmm. the food away and confess waste rather than eating the food when you don't when you don't want it because then you're you're in gluttony. I'm like, what? Wow. Holy cow. <laughs> I was raised badly. 
mom, dad, what have you done to me? <laughs> so it's just like, and, and now my kids use that against me. Oh, see? Dad, I don't want to fall into gluttony. I, <laughs> I, dad, I'd rather fall into waste. I'm like, give me the food. I'm going to eat it. <laughs> it's just, it's so ingrained in me yeah. that I, I just like, okay, well, I'll fall into gluttony then, I guess. I'm taking one for the team here. <laughs> yeah. Though I'm not really eating it to be gluttonous. I'm eating it to not waste. And no. I'm like, okay, I'm feeling stuck. I'm feeling a bit stuck there, Father. All right, we're up against a break. When we come back, we're going to continue on. We've got more quotes from the Catechism as well as more to say about Catholic education. Back in a minute with more Sound Inside. Welcome back to the program. This is Tom Carnum with Father Jeff Lewis, and we are uh, reflecting on Catholic Education Week. And so I do encourage you to, to join me this week because we'll have on a number of interviews with different schools this week to help highlight what's the good news. What's, what's the good news about what's happening in these schools uh, to help form and educate kids in the faith? And what difference is it making? Right? What difference does it make in these kids' lives? Last week, Father, I had on um, Father Ratuiste mm-hmm. and Father Barnett to talk about Core Christi and the seminary. And so uh, it was a wonderful interview to hear about them and, and, the, and the great things happening there at Core Christi and at the seminary. And we get to see those seminarians mm-hmm. at, at your parish. That's so right. you came up. Oh, well. You came up in the interview. <laughs> Hope they so spoke well of me. <laughs> they did, yes. They want to know if they did a better job than you. They, oh. said, they said, is there any more room on Mondays? We can kind of crowd out Father Lewis. Like, ah, I'm sorry. You're going to have to arm wrestle in there. So... Uh, what's the, what would you say is like the, cause I, we've, we've just been talking about formation and education, like the self-mastery education and the virtues and, um, uh, subordinating material instincts to, to spiritual ones, which is another great line from the catechism in the Catholic church, paragraph 2223. Um, and Christi is, is in a certain sense built on that. Yeah. It's sort of ba- based on that idea. How have you seen, um, Christi to be a gift here in, um, the Diocese of Spokane. I know there are six men that are there, and a couple of them you've had direct influence on getting there. Yeah, yeah. Um, a bene- well, a blessing of Cor Christi, um, we're only in the first full year of it so far, so um, the fruits of our labors you know, will bear out. Um, but the two guys that I was able to, to kind of mentor in spirit direction as they discerned, um, they, they both had excellent faith formation in the context of their families. So that's an aspect of uh, Core Christi, and it's not like they're bored in that regard. They're they're refining it, and they're able to take it to a higher level. But another uh, benefit is that it's um, one thing that's um, even for them was somewhat lacking was a real uh, in-depth under understanding and appreciation on how to pray. We have our rote prayers all memorized, our communal prayers, even as a family, we do really well. Like the family rose, you said. But uh, Core Christi is even helping them to take that to a higher level. And how you how you pray by yourself, and in a meditative and contemplative manner, uh, as you continue to discern God's call, if you're called to seminary and priesthood, or maybe you're called at this time to part ways. So it's focused on discernment in many ways, but not exclusively on discernment. But really, just learning how to pray. And both uh, both Patrick and Nick, the guys I kind of mentored, um, they would tell me like, I've never prayed like this before in my life, and I love it. They'll talk like that, and they get multiple times each day to pray, and at that deeper level, uh, and, and Core Christi is teaching them how. Now, um, hopefully, what uh, the lesson that can be applied to our listeners, to our families, is you know there's there's a, a way that we can have that spirit of prayer, uh, that school of prayer, even in the home, 
and what that looks like can be very you know varied on um, on the circumstance of each individual family. But you know the family rosary together is fantastic, and how can we coach our kids uh, to be able to to pray at that deeper level on their own? Um, in in the home setting, and parents can model this. And maybe if parents don't themselves don't know how to do that, well, that's where the parish can be a, a support to the family. Uh, approach your pastor, or approach your uh, DRE, approach uh, any of the perceived uh, spiritual masters of the parish, just for some tips on how to pray. The disciples needed that. They asked Jesus, "Show us how to pray," as they as John's disciples asked him to pray. You know. Father, it feels like you're uh, just like reading paragraph twenty two twenty six. I mean, it's like you're, you're, I don't oh, know. This is, is like a cheat sheet here. <laughs> let me read twenty two twenty six because uh, I think you'll say, "Ha, I got it." So you're not you're not making stuff up. You're actually uh, beautifully describing what is said here. But then I'd love for you to advance on it. Okay, so paragraph twenty two twenty six in the Catechism says, "Education in the faith by the parents should begin in the child's earliest years." This already happens when family members help one another grow in faith by the witness of a Christian life in keeping with the gospel. Family catechesis precedes, accompanies, and enriches other forms of instruction in the faith. Parents have the mission of teaching their children to pray and to discover their vocation as children of God. The parish is the Eucharistic community and the heart of the liturgical life of Christian families. It is a privileged place for the catechesis of children and parents. Yeah. So, anything in there you want to uh, say, ha, yeah, I was right. I nailed it. <laughs> <laughs> parents have the mission of teaching their children to pray. Again, it goes back to 2223, where parents have the first responsibility for the education of their children. Mm-hmm. And part of that education, part of that faith formation is how to pray. And, um, and they, they show how to pray by, by, by modeling prayer and by praying with their children, praying for their children, and then coaching their children, see, here's how you can do it too. My parents did a great job of that, even before my dad was even baptized in a Catholic. But we kind of had this um, prayer that they must have composed that was uh, teaching us intercession and teaching us uh, that the importance of prayer as a family. When we would go down for bed at night, I can almost still remember it. Uh, um, well, I can almost remember it. Bless, uh, God bless mom and dad, Jeff, Justin, and Joshua, uh, grandmas and grandpas, aunts and uncles, cousins and friends, thank you for a nice day, and please make tomorrow a nice day. Amen. That was our family prayer, and that was just a simple 10-second prayer, but but I still look fondly at that because of what it taught me, and hopefully what it taught my brothers as well. And uh, I see this model in all kinds of other ways, too. There's another family I know. Um, they pray each night, or most each night, uh, not the family rosary, but they pray night prayer from the liturgy of the hours. But part of that, when they're doing their examination of conscience, which is a, f- a first part of the night prayer, is uh, to the examine. So you're examining your conscience, and uh, and they'll actually vocalize, you know, so and so, I'm sorry for what I did to you today, and then the response is, I forgive you, and they kind of go around for whatever the airing of grievances kind of a thing. It's really beautiful to see. Sometimes it's still chaotic because the youngest one can't quite focus. He's got his bravery upside down or he's playing with the dog. But, um, but they're modeling that for the kids, and that's another example of how parents can, can teach their children to pray. That's powerful. Yeah. I, uh, so I wrote a book on confession, and it's these five sentences that will change your life. And basically I take the acts of the penitent and put them into sentence form. I did it. I'm sorry. Forgive me. I'll make up for it, and I'll never do it again. Right? Mm-hmm. So uh, that's how we taught our kids how to um, reconcile because they would offend each other mm-hmm. every day. Yeah. Multiple times. <laughs> yeah. And so it, uh, so we taught them 
to say to, to say I did it. Like you have to acknowledge it. You have to own it. You have to accuse yourself. Not it happened. Mm-hmm. It's just somehow the world generated this act to action, or I didn't mean it. Right? Mm-hmm. I know what happened, but I didn't mean it. No, I did it. I'm sorry. So there's that expression of contrition, mm-hmm. and then the request. You have to make a request, mm-hmm. right? Uh, forgive me. Mm-hmm. So now you're in a, a vulnerable position. Will you be forgiven? But then there's also the, I'll make up for it. And that's the penance. The reparation. Right? right? You're going to make reparation here. You're going to repair the damage. And then uh, I'll never do it again. So that that resolution, yeah. right? That determined uh, that determination to say, I will never do this again. Um you know what part the kids liked the best was being able to pick out the penance, <laughs> right? You'll make up for it. Oh yeah, you got to do my chore now, right? So it was a really interesting thing to, for yeah. the kids to be formed in that way of looking at things. I did it. I'm sorry. Forgive me. I'll make up for it. I'll never do it again. And and it can get into them, right? So that's a kind of catechesis, yeah, um, yeah. for the kids. Yeah. That's so great. I don't know. Anyways, that was a. Uh, so I had to write a book about it, yeah. right? There you go. <laughs> That's good. Um, but uh, it, it, but it's a healing sacrament, right? It heals relationships. Mm-hmm. It heals relationships. So, well, this is Tom Kern today on the, uh, on the program. It's Catholic Schools Week, and I'm here with Father Lewis. Father Nagel is busy with his school. Father, I don't know what you're doing, but no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, Father Nagel uh, is not with us today, and we're using the Catechism as as a launching pad. So let's let's take a look at uh, paragraph twenty two twenty nine twenty two twenty nine. Um, focuses on the theme of education. As those first responsible for the education of their children, parents have the right to choose a school for them, which corresponds to their own convictions. This right is fundamental. As far as possible, parents have the duty of choosing schools that will best help them in their task as Christian educators. Public authorities have the duty of guaranteeing this parental right and of ensuring the concrete conditions for its exercise. What jumps out at you, Father? That last sentence, actually. Public authorities have the duty of guaranteeing this parental right. And uh, that's an issue that seems to come up more and more, um, particularly around election season, about school choice, vouchers, uh, um, charter schools, these things, um, the right for parents to homeschool their children. We got it blessed, I think, in the United States, but... I'm still thinking of a story I think I heard about a year ago or more of a family in Germany that was like denied the right to homeschool their child and maybe to try to leave the country to educate their children as they see fit, you know, is a freedom that's threatening, you know, being threatened to be denied. And so we got some blessings in that regard here in our country. Yeah. Yeah. And at the same time, challenges. When yeah. you think about public schools and their imposition of um, a curriculum, yeah. right? The comprehensive sexuality education, which mm-hmm. is just a nightmare yeah. in some school districts, mm-hmm. exposing kids from kindergarten through 12th grade to heinous, even demonic, yep. uh, tra- tragic lies that are yep. distorting and destroying kids' innocence and purity and modesty. It's doing the opposite. It's, it's, it's degrading their dignity, and it's destroying authentic freedom. Right. How do I really feel about that, Father? Huh? Oh, boy, I bet you can go on. I could, too. You know, there, in some of that, you hear it in the news, too, that, you know, s- some certain districts, their school boards and their teachers are deliberately keeping what they're doing uh, a secret from the parents right. so that they don't suffer the rebuttal of the parents. Yeah, or they have a kind of uh, a uh, kind of a... A very diminished sense of saying, "Oh, your kid can be excused from that lesson, right. 
But that is such a deceptive thing because then the kid comes back in and what's everybody talking about? Right. They're talking about all that stuff way beyond that classroom. And then and guess who recess, gets singled out? Talking about it and all recess stuff, in, the, in the lunchroom and all these other places. But you think about it and you say, where is, uh, where is this um, child who was pulled out going to then be pointed at mm-hmm. and, and just identified as... Oh, you know, who are you? What, right. what what's wrong with you that you you missed out on that? So, it's a just a terrible, terrible thing, and and you know, that's something that we're facing. And yeah. and anyways, but I, I want to come back around because um, the reality of school, like discerning the right choice for your kids, is it's a really big deal that parents face. Yeah. All right, back in a minute with more sun inside. Welcome back to Sound Insight. This is Tom Carnum with Father Jeff Lewis, Catholic Schools Week. And we just read this paragraph, Father, 2226, that's talking about the concept, no, 2229, sorry, um, that parents have the right to choose a school for them which corresponds to their own convictions um, and best help them in their task as Christian educators. And so I know that for Carrie and me, we've had a, it's been a very interesting journey because every year we'll discern for our kids, like we'll discern with our kids, we'll talk with them, especially when they're older. Like, what's the best school for you? What's the right place for you to be educated? And when we had a lot of younger kids, um, we started off homeschooling. And Carrie is a trained educator. She has a master's degree in educational leadership. She has a bachelor's degree in uh, education. She's got a, a certificate a certification in special education. So just very well equipped. And worked as a teacher for like nine years. So lots of background to be able to homeschool well Mm -hmm. until she has five kids in seven years. And all of a sudden now we've got a bunch of kids school age and now she's got nine kids in 12 years. And it's like, okay, how do I possibly educate these kids when I've got all these little babies? Mm -hmm. So then interestingly, we looked at public school for kindergarten. And um, I think maybe even first grade. Because it was um, the content was somewhat innocuous, right? Mm-hmm. There was not that comprehensive sexuality education stuff in all of that. But then there was, well, why don't we do a co-op setting? So we did co-op kind of homeschooling. Mm-hmm. And then there was Catholic schools. Mm-hmm. So then we started doing Catholic schools. But then for you know a kid that's maybe struggling, let's pull that kid out and let's homeschool them individually for a year. I say we, but it's always Carrie, yeah. right? And then... Um, and then when they when there was more at stake, and there's more at stake when the kids hit, say, sixth, seventh grade, right? Mm-hmm. Once you hit the tween years into the high school years, there's so much at stake mm-hmm. that having that sense of what are my options and how do I help my my son or my daughter make the right choice is a really big deal. Yeah. Do you have parents come to you, especially in those years, trying to sense like what's the right path for me? Um, I have had some, and um, I would I would seek out uh, conversations with parents if I catch wind of what they're where they're at in their kind of discernment in that matter, um, with some uh, recommendations maybe or even some concerns. Um, so yeah, I've had those conversations with parents, and um, it, it's it's increasingly difficult because our our public schools seem to be going in another direction. But some families are like you know. We just can't afford, you know, the expensive uh, Catholic schools here, I guess, or um, 
whatever whatever it is, you know, they uh, I, I feel bad for the parents because they they feel the, uh, the reality of, or at least a strong perception of, um, 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 you know, constraints, I guess, and and maybe they don't feel that they have the options that they actually do have. It's it's really hard. Mm-hmm. It's really hard. I have to say that. Now I'll also say out loud that I have actively um, said, do not send your kids to Gonzaga Prep. Mm-hmm. I said, if you want a Catholic school for your kids, don't send them there because their Catholic faith is not going to be fostered in an authentic, complete way. It's just not. If you um, highly value a specifically Catholic school at the high school level and you're in Spokane, you have one option. It's the Chesterton Academy. Yeah. It's really the only... You don't have to say anything out loud, Father. I'm going <laughs> to say it out loud. Um, and so I have, you know, when I've talked to parents and they've said, well, we're, we're looking at uh, prep. Don't do it. Mm-hmm. If you want your kid to grow up in a, in, at the high school level in a, in a flourishing environment that is going to foster an authentic and profound Catholic faith, Chesterton Academy is your Catholic option. Yeah. Um, now, our kids go to the Oaks, and we have uh, talked about that on the air, and so I don't have to dig into it anymore, but I've called it the most Catholic school my kids have ever been, uh, have been, ever been educated at, and that's what this is saying, that we have the duty of choosing schools that will best help them in their task as Christian educators, yeah. and the Oaks have been amazing partners to us in that yeah. journey, but that's us. Yeah. And, and I know other Catholics uh, who have said yes to that as well, but others that have said, you know, I, 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 want, the, I want Catholic in the name. Yeah. I want Catholic, and and so they've chosen Court of Christ, and the the new classical school in in Coeur d'Alene. Yeah. They've chosen uh, Chesterton Academy, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and uh, uh, there's a new Chesterton Academy opening up on the west side in in the Seattle area. Isn't yeah, on, that cool? On Mercer Island, isn't it? Mm, no, that 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 is a Saint Monica's is already Saint Monica's is already classical. Yeah. So that was a, a diocesan school, archdiocesan okay. school that went to a, a classical. Uh, uh, educational model. Okay. And there are others that have done that, like St. Mark's in Shoreline is okay. another one. Okay. Um, I think that either, well, I don't know if they've been fully integrated in classical. I shouldn't say that one out loud yet. But there's Aquinas Classical Academy in Bremerton okay. that opened up two years ago, and they're flourishing. Um, and they've got a new headmaster that, I, I don't know if that's public yet. Not, whoops. <laughs> um, but that's going to be, I think, announced soon. And um, and so we're going to have them on later in the week nice. to talk about the great things happening there. Um, and then um, uh, I know that co-ops are also full and flourishing. Yeah. You've been very involved in, yeah. in, in uh, the co-op here in, in the Valley. Yeah. Yeah, it's a it's a great co-op. I I get to be I've I've been involved in a variety of different um, ca- capacities. Um, last year, or maybe it was the year before, uh, school year before, they asked me if I could teach a class for the high school kids, uh, an elective on the philosophy and the theology of Tolkien. So we were reading. Our primary text was the Lord of the Rings. It was a, a pretty fun course, and um, and then celebrating the mass, hearing confessions. Um, so, uh, yeah, they're, they're great families there and I think they got a good model. They got a good thing working for them. And one of our other seminarians in the core Christie program, Nick Sund is a, is a graduate of that, of that program. Yeah. He didn't go to Chesterton. He did some running start, but he stayed with the co-op, uh, through graduation. Well, and it's funny cause, uh, like I got a call from them last year. Stop talking about it on the radio. It's too crowded. We're getting too many people coming. Well, and that, I think in the COVID world, people were looking for alternatives to mm-hmm. say, I don't want to fall into policies that I personally find offensive or oppressive 
and the co-op became a, a an authentic way for them to be able to go forward as parents, yeah, right? Yeah. And determining the the way for them to uh, raise their kids in the faith. That's a big deal. Yeah. It's such a big. There's so much at stake in that. Parents, mm-hmm. those high school years are so impactful in terms of how kids are going to see themselves, how they're going to view their own sense of like what their life is all about, and and that's again part of our call. So. Um, and that leads me to 2230, Father, and you're going to like this one. Uh, when they become adults, children have the right and duty to choose their profession and their state in life. They should assume their new responsibilities with a trusting relationship with their parents, willingly asking and receiving their advice and counsel. Parents should be careful not to exert pressure on their children, either in the choice of a profession or in that of a spouse. This necessary restraint does not prevent them, quite the contrary, from giving their children judicious advice, particularly when they're planning to start a family. Yeah. So what do you think about that? I like that very much. Uh, I think as uh, someone who tries uh, to promote vocations, this is uh, particularly You, you try impactful. to promote vocations? I didn't know I that. I know. Father. No one knows that. It's, 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 it's a best-kept <laughs> secret. Parents should be careful not to exert pressure on their children. Um, and um, I might put in there, and you know, in, in regard to the state in life, their vocation. Um, you know, uh, Father Barnett, I think, has said a couple of times that one of the one of the one of the one of the most surprising and impactful sources of opposition to a child's discernment to a religious vocation is their parents. Well, I was going to ask you that. I was going to say, do you encounter more often parents that are exerting too much pressure to consider the priestly life or the religious life or pressure to avoid priesthood and religious life? In my experience, pressure to embrace it, but I have heard of the other as well, a lot of it. Um, and, and pressure in either direction is no good because it's it's hampering the, the their child's free discernment of the matter uh, because then the child's like, well, I don't think I'm called to be a priest, but grandma really expects me to be a priest, and I'm feeling that pressure. I don't want to let her down. That's yeah. what it comes down to. I don't want to let them down, and that's an undue pressure, and uh, parents ought to try their best to stay neutral. When I was, uh, you know, a, that's hard. It's I gotta very tell hard, you, I it's, bet. it's yeah. really hard because you know I've got a couple of kiddos discerning priesthood and religious life, and it's like I I, I want to say it would be such an honor and a gift if the Lord were to call you to that, but I don't want you to feel like I'm pressuring you to say I have this expectation that if you don't you know enter the seminary or or enter religious life you know even to discern it somehow you're letting me down. Yeah, that is a it's a very delicate thing. Yeah. It, it's a really, yeah. yeah. So I'm grateful to my parents. You know, I discerned at a later time after college, but I'm grateful that they didn't exert pressure one way or another. In fact, their initial response, particularly from my mom, was uh, basically just a word of caution to make sure that I'm discerning this for the right reasons, mm-hmm. uh, that I'm not seeing it as uh, just an escape from whatever my difficulties in life were at that time or whatever. And I appreciate that very much. She had a... I don't know if she would say this herself in these words, but I, I definitely sensed it, that she had such a healthy respect for the priesthood as such that uh, discernment of the priesthood ought not be cheapened. And, um, and it felt it felt neutral in terms of pressure, but a good, uh, uh, prudent word of caution. That's powerful. Yeah. Well, Father, that's the last word. We are out of time. Okay. So thank you so much for being with me. Thank you all, folks. Pray for Catholic schools in this Catholic Schools Week. Enjoy me tomorrow for more Sound Insight.